When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Claret and Blue podcast. We're joined by another special guest this week. It's former Aston Villa star Steve Hunt. How are you, Steve? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. We're going to take you on a bit of a nostalgic wander down memory lane from your two spells at Villa. Um, but before we do that, we, we know you've got a, got a book to plug, so give us a, give us a little bit of a, a taste of what, what's, what's in this book. Obviously, it covers uh, the time I went from a 20-year-old uh, over to the States to play with the great Pele. So uh, it goes through all my career, but obviously um, that was a massive highlight. And uh, not just highs, but lows as well over there. Um, but did the full circle and ended up back at Villa. So it covers all, all my career. And when's that When's that out, Steve? And what, what's it called? It's called I'm With The Cosmos, and it's out 8th of March. We're going to try and give a little bit of a taste of it by just talking through the, the couple of spells at, at Aston Villa. So yep. tell me, was it always football? When you were a Brummie lad growing, growing up in Birmingham, was it always football for you? Always football. The, the family were, um, well, they still are football mad. Um, my two uncles, Dave and Den, um, constantly uh, practicing with them. So it's just something we've always, I've always been brought up with, and Villa was literally up the road, a quarter of a mile up the road to where we lived. So um, the dream was could I play for Villa one day, and obviously uh, it, it came about. So you were actually kind of born and raised, kind of Witten Way, weren't you? Whereabouts? Whereabouts was it? Brantley Road, which is just off Tame Road, which is leading off where Villa Park is. So my mum's still down there and my uncle, they still live down there. Had it always been, were your family big Villa anyway? Were they, was that oh, their club? Yeah, massive. I mean, my nan, she used to go on her own season ticket in the Witten stand. Um, Favourite player was Charlie Aitken. And uh, we used to stand on the Witten, Witten end before it had a cover. So uh used to wave to my nan, we could see her. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was great days, you know, really was. So in terms of you kind of being spotted by Villa and getting that chance, how did that come about? Were you playing locally for the school or playing for a, a Sunday team? Or the usual thing, really, in those days, uh, playing for the school, obviously, and then for the district, Aston, and then for Warwickshire, um, and along that route, I was scouted by Villa. Uh, thank goodness, and. Um, it went from there. I signed schoolboy forms when I was 11 for Villa. So that was early. When you were playing kind of schoolboy level, were there any other kind of future professional footballers playing with you at that stage? I was one of the fortunate ones. You know, I got, I got through the system and got my apprenticeship. There was a lot of very, very good players with the Villa boys who were known as Stanley Starr. Um, lads that had come down from Scotland as well, um, from uh, Postle Park, they were called. Uh, which is the equivalent Villa boys up there. So th- there was loads of guys, uh, but, you know, you've just got that little bit of luck to get through. 
and get your apprenticeship. I remember just chatting to you briefly last week to set up this interview and saying that you, you're, you're, both your spells at Villa were just a little bit before my time. Tell us what kind of player you were in your own words. So what you're saying is you're younger than me. <laughs> I can't say that to many people. <laughs> what kind of player was I? Um, I mean, I was signed as a striker, really. I was, I was playing off the front man, uh, you know, at school and occasionally playing on the left wing. Um, but when I, when I went uh, apprentice, I played with Bobby Campbell um, in the youth team. Uh, people might remember Bobby, um, sadly passed. But he was a terrific target man and I played off him. But um, eventually I was I was put out on the left wing and do the supplying with the old left foot there. That was early days when I could run, run around a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of you kind of getting from the kind of youth system up to, to first team level, would it have been Ron Saunders by the by then or would you have still been, would you have been training with the, the team when Vic Crow was still in charge or how would it have worked? I mean, Vic Crow was there when I signed Apprentice. That, that didn't last long and then Ron came along. Um, and certainly when I signed Pro, it was uh, Ron Saunders. I signed when I was 17. So I did a year apprenticeship and then signed when I was 17. What was that like then? Because we only we only hear of Ron by kind of legend and reputation. What what was it like for a young kid kind of coming into that kind of setup and that kind of discipline? It's a bit bittersweet, actually, because I, mean, I had the elation of getting the pro contract on the Wednesday, I believe it was. And my first game was in the reserves on the Saturday and I tore my cartilage. So my very first game as a pro... I ended up having six weeks rehabilitation for a cartilage operation. So it wasn't the best of starts. I've just been, I've been doing a little bit of homework on you and I think that you came through at the end of the promotion season. Is that right in terms of making you, making your first team debut? Um, yeah, at Hillsborough. That was the night that Villa clinched the clinched promotion, wasn't it, I believe? It was, it was, yeah. And I was on the bench and itching to get on. Obviously, the lads were terrific that night anyway. And fortunately enough, I managed to get on for the last 15, 20 minutes. And what was was the game pretty much won by then, Steve? Was the pressure off a little bit or did you still feel it? No, I made all the difference. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, my great memory of it was that I had so many people at the game, you know, fran- uh, friends and family. And the the, uh, the Villa end behind the goal was absolutely manic. You know, it was absolutely rammed. And... Uh, one of my mates ran on after and tore my shirt off my backward. And, uh, and Ron Saunders wasn't happy for it that way. I think I'm right in saying that you... Did you make a start the following week, which was the kind of celebration of promotion game in front of a massive crowd, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, the, the Sheffield Wednesday game was midweek. And then on the Saturday, the, the promotion was clinched and we played Sunderland at home and uh, he, he picked me to start. So uh, that was a, obviously... Oh, to, well, a terrific memory. It's what I dreamed about all, all my childhood to represent Villa and run out there for the first team. And when it happens, you know, you've got to take it all in. Unless the, my history book's incorrect. You said there were 57,000 in Villa Park. Yeah, that was just in the Holt end. <laughs> that was just your family, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I, I don't know what the capacity was back then, but obviously it was standing at uh, beyond the goals both ends and it, yeah it was packed I mean it, it was just a party atmosphere you know and Sunderland gave us a guard, guard of honour as we ran out as well which was a nice touch Did you suffer with nerves Steve? Yeah I'd be lying if I said I didn't especially them early days um, 
but you know the, the older pros you know were great with me and settled me down and when you cross the white line you've just got to get on with it I mean I don't remember a hell of a lot about the game other than we won <laughs> that was the main thing um, but it was just looking back um, you know that what was going through my mind as I run down the tunnel and out onto the pitch and you know it was just a dream it really was what was life like for a kind of young Villa fan Brummy footballer who's playing for his uh, playing for his boyhood team what was it like was it kind of out on the town, did you spend your first pay packet on a new motor, or how, how did it go for the for that that those couple of seasons? I mean, obviously, because uh, the family and friends of Villa Mad, you know, um, they just travelled anywhere they could to see me and, uh, and the club. Um, it was ups and downs. I was in and out of the team, um, but it was it was just fantastic to be part of it. You know, um, there were good days. I remember them fondly. Uh, but obviously, it was a shock when I was uh, let go. You said it was a bit of a shock, shock to the system. Not only that you were let go, but I should imagine the the kind of the venue or the location that that you ended up. Tell us, yeah. tell us a little bit about how that came about. Then, did they just come come knocking and inquire about you? Or? I made uh, appearance in the quarter final of the League Cup the year that they that Villa won it um, against Millwall and played that game, and was told by the manager I'd played well and. You know, my contribution was good. So I, I was on a high. And then shortly afterwards, I get a call to his office, Ron Saunders, which is usually one of two things. And he says, um, there's a guy in the canteen. This was at Bodymore Heath, obviously, the train ground. There's a guy in the canteen uh, from New York. I've agreed a fee for you to go and leave the villa and go and play for New York Cosmos. And I just remember just going silent and thinking, has he just said something or is he making this up? Because I, I didn't even know they were playing football in New York I didn't so one of two things shocked because obviously they were willing to let me go and also New York you know it's not like going up the M6 is it you know it, it, so it, it, was a, it was a complete shock it really was what do you think kind of Villa and, and, and Ron Saunders his motivation for it was what to you're let still me go? a young kid aren't you There's still lots of potential to to, to go on and forge That's a good right. career like you did the, what he did say and this is the honest truth he said we're building a stand at the Whitten End and we're going to use your money to put that roof on, which that was nice, wasn't it? So where it's got AV written into the seats, it should be SH. <laughs> Is that, I didn't, so so yeah, you're, yes, actually, you're actually the man who's funded funded the North, what, what's the North stand yeah, yeah, roof? Now? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's almost presented as you to you, well, it actually is presented to you as a done deal. You can't really... Can, can no. you say no? Can you? What, what kind of well, situation does that put you in? I could have said no. Within a minute, I've left Ron's office into the canteen, and there's this lovely guy named Joe Mallet, um, great guy. Um, and I, I was in a bit of a daze, to be honest. Um, and when he started talking, saying, "You know, we've agreed the fee. We'd like you to join us," I'm thinking, "Hang on a minute. You know, one minute I'm doing okay. I'm a Villa player. Next thing." I'm out of there, you know. But the more Joe spoke to me, and obviously when he said you'd be playing with not bad uh, teammates, one of them being Pele, <laughs> that kind of my eyes opened a little bit and obviously just checked. I said, did you really say Pele there? He said, yeah, he, he's, he's playing with us. So that kind of swayed it. So was the kind of mixed emotions then? Mixed emotions yeah. that you kind of boiled club were prepared to let you go, but yeah. this real kind of sense of excitement and, and 
you know, a kind of like an excitement of the unknown. You've nailed it spot on. Um, the more it sank in, I thought, well, it's done. You know, they're willing to let me go. So I've got to put that behind me now. Big disappointment, but I've got to get on with it. So called my then first wife and said, you're not going to believe what I'm going to ask you. How do you fancy going across the pond to New York to play? <laughs> um, she was good as gold. She said, um, yeah, no problem. We'd only been married a month. You know, just bought our first house and then this happens. So it, calling it a whirlwind would be an understatement. So what's what's the furthest you'd ever been before then on holiday or anything? Had you ever been to America? Uh, not America, no. I mean, Europe. That was the furthest I've been with uh, the youth team uh, tournaments and stuff like that. So it was an unbelievable experience to, to get on that plane because I went on my own. Um, my wife didn't come over till after the first couple of weeks, and oh, I had to report to pre-season training in Bermuda. <laughs> it's all right, isn't it? It's a bit, it's a bit different from Bodymore to Bermuda. Is a bit different, isn't it? Well, I, th- I think my next game I was due to play Preston away in the reserves. So, you know, I, Preston's a lovely place, but you know, there's not really a comparison when you go to Bermuda. Is there? <laughs> did they put you up in a hotel first of all, or how how did they kind of? immerse you in that life really yeah i mean we, we did a couple of weeks in bermuda and met the lads um it made me feel at ease if you like um but i felt this enormous pressure of having to prove myself i thought i'm am i really good enough to go and play on a team with pelly in it you know but once i got there and i realized that you know they're human like everybody else and pelly is a superb guy after that we went back to new york and yeah they, they put us up in a hotel so they could find us somewhere to live. So we lived in that hotel for a good six weeks. Run through some of the players that you that you, you played played alongside there then, Steve. Well, it, there was a mixture. You could say a mixture. We had so many different uh, uh, international players and people from all over the world, you know. Um, but at that time, Pele was obviously the main man. Um, Giorgio Quinalia, who um, was a character, um, Italian guy that scored goals for fun. Uh, luckily, the, Charlie Aitken was there, my nan's favourite, which was great. <laughs> he had something to do with me going over there, I believe. So uh, I owe Charlie one. Um, there was two or three other English guys from Sheffield United over there. Uh, Keith Eddy, um, Terry Garbett and Tony Field. So it kind of helped me having a few English guys in there. Um but then there was the, the rumour that Franz Beckenbauer was about to join us. And I thought, this is this can't be happening. You know, 20-year-old kid um, and just took over there and it, we're in this showbiz team, you know. And then, of course, Carlos Alberto arrived. And I, I'm, well, you know, I, I didn't take anything for granted, but I just thought this is just unreal. You know, I'm playing with the world's best here. It took a while to gel. The team took a while. You know, even though we had these star names, it took ages for us to gel, you know, because we're all different nationalities and languages. But when it did gel, oh boy, we took off. <laughs> it went from strength to strength. They used to parade the cosmos around the world at the end of the, the, the playing season. They, they went all over the world, you know, and it was like a Harlem Globetrotters kind of thing. I didn't do any of that. I just wanted to get back to to Brom and see the family and friends, you know, so I didn't do that. But what I did do, um, they played Chelsea at Stamford Bridge 
in 78 and they asked if I wanted to play and of course I did. To my surprise, walked in the changing room and I was getting changed next to Johan Cruyff. <laughs> that he hadn't mentioned that he was guesting for us this particular game. So I've got Cruyff and Beckenbauer and Carlos Alberto. <laughs> this is unreal. I was 20 years old and a bit of a hothead, as the mates will tell you. And I had a few fallouts and, uh, you know, it took a while to um, to settle in. It really did. I think I read an interview that you gave a couple of years ago, Steve. I think you said ended up giving Pelé the visa or something because it upset you. I had a shot on goal and it was pretty good. It was decent for me, even though I must say so. And it just clipped the bar, went over the bar, and he, he weren't happy. He thought I should have passed to him. And I, what I did, I actually put my fingers in my ear <laughs> and told him where to go. And I think all of 10 to 30 seconds, I was on the bench. I was They substitute me straight away. You know, you can't do that to the great man. So. <laughs> Is that what, was, was he kind of treated with that kind of extra kind of reverence then? Well, rightly so. You know, um, as I say, in my defence, I was 20 years old and a bit of a hothead and somebody had to go at me, I'd had to go back, and whether it be Pelle or anybody else. Uh, but we, we, you know, he sat me down and I apologised. You know, I knew I was wrong um, and it was forgotten and we got on really well after that and forged a good partnership on the pitch. It must have been good for your kind of self-esteem, though, and your ego to know that you could more than hold your own in that that kind of company. That was the, the, the biggest challenge going out there. I, I did have this fear, am I good enough? You know, I'd, I'd played seven games in the first team at Villa. Um, I was 20 years old, not really proven. Um, can I hold my, home, my own with these, this kind of company? Um, and, uh, you know, I persevered. You know, it was hard graft, and I, I watched them. I learned from them. These great players, uh, they're of all, all accommodating, should we say, uh, would help. And it just went from strength to strength. And you know, instead of being in awe of them, I felt part of them. Then, and is it right that you were kind of man of the match or MVP, as they call it over there, for, for Pele's final game? Yeah, we, 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 as I say, the the. Once the season, about halfway through, and Carlos arrived, Franz arrived, we got on a run, and there was no stopping us. We went all the way to the final. Uh, very close final. Could have gone either way. Uh, very good Seattle side. Um, but it was one of them days when you, you feel on the ball. You feel good. You feel like you you know anything can be achieved, and I had one of those days. Um, ended up scoring one and making the winner and got MVP, yeah, and to do it in his last game was obviously very special. Mick Jagger was in the dressing room, was he? Or, or was was certainly in your company at some stage during all of that? Our owners were Warner Brothers Communication and Atlantic Records, obviously, were part of the group. And a guy named uh, Armit Hertigan, who's an absolute legend uh, in the music business, realised that I liked that particular kind of music, the rock music. And I was just in there after a game, just finished... And I heard this voice say, where's the English guy? Turn around and it's Mr. Jagger. And I, I was actually quoted as saying, uh, some people thought winning the soccer bowl was my ultimate thrill. It wasn't. It was meeting Mick Jagger. <laughs> I actually meant that as well. You know, I'm a big Stones fan. So he was fantastic, you know. But you just want to talk about football all the time. And I want to talk about music. You know, it's the usual thing. What was it like? 
away from the pitch in terms of you know, like your social life you know did you did you go and socialize with, with some of these superstars and could you kind of push to the front of the queue at restaurants and nightclubs and that kind of thing it was a struggle to begin with because once they did find us somewhere to live we were out in the sticks I, I didn't have any transport you know I was relying on teammates picking me up to take me to training and that so we were a bit isolated and that was tough you know I've been away from home a young couple um, so th- that was hard work, and so we, we didn't socialize much. No, I mean, I gravitated towards the young American players my age, um, made very good friends with one of the guys, Gary Etherington, and um, so that was my circle, but not socializing with uh, the, 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 the superstar, shall we say. But uh, I did get to go to Studio 54, which you know, I, I, I thought I've got to go and see this place, see what it's like, and. Let's just say that was an eye opener. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you did the, the name of the book that I've written is "I'm with the Cosmos" because that, that's the word you use to get in to Studio Fifty Four. You just skip the queue, go to the front, and say "I'm with the Cosmos," and in you go. You know, it's quite embarrassing, really. But <laughs> it, <laughs> You've it got to take your book to where you can, you? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I, I know some of the lads use that phrase in restaurants, you know, various places, and they get a table, no worries. You know, skip the queue. So <laughs> I don't know whether that yeah. works down Broad Street or down... Um... No, no. <laughs> I tried it. I'm with the Villa, but nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's let's bring you back to your second spell at Villa. We're going to air... This is an Aston Villa podcast, so we're going to airbrush West Brom and, and Coventry for now. You're back yeah. at Villa in yeah. mid-'80s. Um, by then, whatever Ron Saunders has built... That, that culminated in a couple of League Cup wins, you know, a, a league title, and then then winning the European Cup under Tony Barton. Is it fair to say Villa have, cut, have gone up to that kind of height, and they're probably in a little bit of dip, a bit of a dip by the time that you come back? Is that fair? A bit of a dip. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was trying to be polite. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it wasn't a good time. Um, when you look at that European team, which was absolutely superb. And it just fell away. It, it shouldn't have happened, but it did. And I ended up going, what is it, about three or four years after that. Um, and obviously there was problems. Um, I think there was about 12 games left when I joined and we were in the bottom three. Unfortunately, we, we scraped our way out of it. Um, and I, I honestly, I'm, I'm terrible at... Um, predicting things and I said we'd have a good season the following year typical me um didn't work out that way um went from bad to worse and we ended up getting relegated and it was uh, it was shocking it was the worst experience I've ever had in football do you think it was because you'd got a couple of the remnants left shall we say from the European Cup side who were kind of fading forces I think by by that stage and you know I think they got you got some bright young kids in there but it just didn't seem it didn't yeah. seem to, to work, did it? Well, there was a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. Like, Graham Turner was the manager. Graham Turner and Ron Wiley. And I'd, obviously, I'd followed Ron Wiley around quite a bit at Coventry and, and whatnot. But I thought it was a knee-jerk reaction getting rid of Graham Turner. I think if they give him longer, we, we who knows, we may have done better. But we needed leadership when, when Graham went and 
Billy McNeil came in and unfortunately we didn't get that leadership. Rewind back to Graham Turner a little bit because obviously yeah. I think he'd been plucked from from doing a great job at, job at Shrewsbury. What what was he like? Because I think I think sometimes, like, like I say, I probably started following Villa a couple of years after that. And there's this kind of sense that, that Graham was, I don't know, promoted too soon or... Not out of his depth might sound a bit, a bit, a bit too harsh, but do you know what I mean. Do you think yeah. he, he did have the kind of makings of, of, of getting something right if, if, if he was given time? Then, well, I think, I think when he left, didn't he do a good job when he went? Was it Wolves or something? Wolves, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, took yeah, him yeah from he did a good job. To, yeah, um, you know, it, it was labelled at him that you know coming from a, a smaller club to a so-called much bigger club, which Villa was obviously, um, but. The place was in turmoil. It needed, you know, really shaking up. And I don't think he had long enough. Um, it was a very young team, you know. It did need experience. And obviously, they brought myself and Andy Andy Blair in. And as I say, we, we managed to stay up that, that year. But the following season was just a complete shambles. It really was. I don't want to open, open up too many old wounds, Steve. Um, but was it the Forest you got battered six yeah, Forest. I think that was yeah. the that was the, the final straw for Graham, wasn't it? That's it. That's it. The the tournay uh, released him. Yeah, after that, as I say, I think it was a knee jerk thing. You know, the players have got to take the responsibility for results like that, not just the manager. Um, and we didn't. You know, we we needed a real good rollicking. Um, you know, we needed like uh, pointing in the right direction. You know, real leadership, and we didn't get it. You know, it was left to our own devices and. Put it simply, we weren't good enough. As a team, we weren't good enough. You look at us on paper, and there's some terrific names there. But as a team, and how we played that season was shocking. What was Billy McNeil's kind of main main failing then? How come he didn't wasn't able to kind of get a grip of the situation? He, he gave me the impression he'd had an off too early, and he, he didn't really want to be there. But that, that's how it, that's the impression I got from it. Um, and the more the season went on, the, the less ideas. He was just running out of ideas of what to do next. And and obviously, as a team, we were proving we wasn't good enough. So, you know, we needed investment in the team. I know Graham Turner was uh, constantly trying to get more players that didn't come. But the potential was there with the, with the younger players at the club. And, uh, you know, a couple of us old, older guys. But it came to the point where Billy would ask us what how we wanted to play. And I'm thinking, well... You know, that's fine, you know, to get some feedback, but you're the one that should sort formations out and who you think should be playing. I say I've got nothing against the guy because, you know, he's a legend up there in Scotland, Celtic. And I just expected more, you know, from him. And I think he lost the dressing room. Well, I know he did. And we've got to look at ourselves that season and say, look, as individuals and as a team, we weren't good enough. So Villa were, Villa were relegated that summer. And then yeah. the, the saviour, the messiah, I suppose, is, is thought of in, 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 in a lot of Claret and Blue circles for kind of, you know, stopping the rock quickly and getting Villa back on the, on the front foot yeah. again. What was it like with, with Graham Taylor? Because I know you were, you were kind of heavily involved for the, for the first part of the season. Look, Graham came in and did exactly, he was the right man for the job. He did exactly what was needed. Um, the, the discipline was installed. The, the training was upped. Considerably, you know, we were fitter. Um, we had a purpose. Um, it wasn't my style of play. I will say that, you know, uh, every respect for Graham, but he knew I didn't like his style of play. 
Um, and I, I don't think I'd have, if, if it wasn't for um, having for, to retire through my injury, I don't think I'd have lasted at Villa um, because of the style. But what I'm saying is it was what was needed and it proved that. And that they went on from strength to strength and got promoted. So all credit to him. Despite it not being your style of play, he still used you quite regularly, didn't he, when you were available? Yeah, the first dozen games. But, do you know, my knee was uh, shot by then. It really was. Um, and as you'll read in the book, if I'd have had a medical when I left Albion to go to Villa, I don't think it would have happened. I really don't. I didn't have a medical. So, you know, I, I knew my knee was, uh, was struggling. So I wasn't performing to my best. That's that year, Graham uh, Taylor come. So did they just kind of sign you on reputation rather than, uh, you know, kind of putting your body to the test? Well, I don't know why why it happens. I was, you know, you always expect a medical, don't you? I mean, nowadays, the unbelievable medicals, whereas back then, you know, it was fairly straightforward, but I didn't even get that. It was like desperation. We need some experience in the, in the side. Um, let's get them in. And it, it worked because we stayed up. But of course... Following you, such a such a battle. Graham Taylor came in; he did exactly the right thing, and I'm, I was, you know, as pleased as anybody when they got back into the into the top flight. Am I right thinking you scored on your final final game, a four-one win against Palace? I think, according to the record books, it was, and it was a header. Would you believe? It? I must. I think I tripped over, and the ball hit me. <laughs> but yeah, a header in front of the whole end. But yeah, that was my last game and last goal, yeah. What yeah. what was it like when it was in kind of full flow, the Holt? Oh, brilliant. I mean, I used to stand on the Holt as well. I was mainly on the Whitney end, but I, as I got into my teens, I went and stood on the Holt end. And just that togetherness and, you know, you just wanting the team to do well. And the next thing you know, you're out on the pitch and playing in front of them. Um, the terrific support. Loved it. But... You know that season we went down. My my life, I, I wouldn't have been, like been on the whole time watching that. Did you stay with Villa till the end of the season, or what? What, what happened? Did they just kind of you didn't feel involved anymore from that moment. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't want to give too much away. I've, I've covered it all in the book. The, the what happened when uh, you know I went down Harley Street twice to get opinions on my knee, and when it was a final that I needed to stop. Uh, I was promised things that didn't materialise, put it that way. And I, I just left the next day. Throughout your career and throughout your Villa career, there's been there's been ups and downs. But looking back on it now, kind of you know, many years on, what 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 do you feel having kind of been a, a Villa fan who's grown up, you know, a, a long throw away from, from Villa Park and you, you've got to play play for that team? It must still give you a warm glow with what you've achieved. Oh, without doubt. You know, it would have been nice to stay there and, and got my career there. But, you know, if I hadn't have gone to the States, I wouldn't have been the same player. So I've got no regrets about that. To play for your local club that you live just up the road from and have supported them all through your, your childhood, you know, into your teens, um, and to actually run out on that pitch and represent them meant the world. It really did. Um, knowing how proud you, your family are of you and having your mates up there watching you, giving you a stick when you don't do it for the villa, you know, that kind of thing. It's second to none. Second to none. No, well, it's been an absolute pleasure taking you on a, on a, on a Claret and Blue trip down memory lane. I think, I think you've done well. I think you've just about kind of... You've given us plenty, plenty of interest for <laughs> for our podcast, but you've just kind of left a few gaps for us to uh, 
or, yes. or go and get that book anyway. So, um, yeah. like I say, thanks so much for your, your time, Steve. This has been the latest episode of Claret and Blue. Till next time, up the villa. Up the villa. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. But until then, up the villa. Up the villa.